And that sound like. But then you hit record and you're out the door anyway. Our whole relationship is a CD skipping away. Crush on the ray. I know two. Of, I know two of us had a uh, musically busy day yesterday. Uh, I had a, I, I had a sleepy busy day. <laughs> I, I like to sleep, and so sleep. I did. I slept today. I woke up a few minutes ago. <laughs> don't blame yeah, me. I, I, yeah, I woke up about an hour ago. Yeah. Well, what I, time is it there though? Uh, ten thirty. Yeah. <laughs> so you went to see Primus, apparently. I did. Oh, awesome. It was a huge Saturday. Let me give you guys the play-by-play really quick. So, first of all, Friday night, I didn't fall asleep until around 3.30. And then I woke up at 7 because I had to go uh, do a yoga class in the middle of West Harvard Center. They had, like, all the yoga studios in central Connecticut uh, come out, and, like, a 1,000 people did yoga at 8 o'clock in the morning uh, in the middle of the road. So that was pretty cool. And then I had to go home and mow my lawn at 9.30. Then I had to go over to the local park because um, we have an extravaganza every year in Newington. And my karate students were putting out a demonstration. So I had to do that at 11.30. And then I got home by 12.30. I had to go to uh, a party at my good friend's house. Uh, they were having an apartment warming slash uh, graduation party Um and then I had to drive to Cheshire to pick up my friend Michelle. And then we drove to Bridgeport to make it to see Primus at the Gathering of the Vibes Festival uh, at 9.30. So it was a huge Saturday. And uh, Primus was fantastic. It, uh, you know, the, the set list was fairly, um, fairly standard, but it was nice because it was, uh, it was a music festival. So it wasn't uh, their typical demographic. It was a little bit more hippie. Uh, than you would normally find at a Primus show, which subsequently made the crowd a little bit more mellow. Uh, so we didn't have to contend with any mosh pits or anything like that. So that was nice. And um, they were headlining Saturday night. So they had a two-hour slot, and they played the full two hours, and it was a nice long show. And uh, it was my friend Michelle's first Primus experience, and she loved it. So uh, so that was great. And uh, I didn't get home until around 3.30 or so, and actually ended up passing out while on my phone looking at the set list you know <laughs> lights on clothes on clothes on too and then waking up at five in the morning and realizing that i had passed out uh <laughs> fortunately it was on my bed though so it was a big it was a good big awesome saturday nice. like did did had like michelle like heard primus before and this was just her first live thing or is she going in like completely cold oh no it was her first live thing fortunately. Oh, okay. Okay, because yeah. yeah, I mean, like Primus is awesome, but I, it, it seems like a little bit of a, you know, a risk to just go in like going like, oh, I know nothing about this band. I'm going to go see them. She was prepared enough that she uh, had a blast. So awesome, very good. Was that like the the 3D thing that I was hearing about, or new that's coming out? I guess they're going to release more information um, soon, uh, but it's going to be like a 3D tour in the fall and it's also going to be in surround sound 
um, I don't know too much about it other than that it's it's happening. So uh, that's going to be really cool. Yeah, that that, that sounds awesome because that was about like all I knew was that either like this time or sometime in the future or something they were doing something with like 3D or at least like uh, more 3D than they are now. You know, being actual humans and all. Since since um, the new album came out and Jay Lane rejoined the band a couple of years ago now, uh, the band has been totally uh, rejuvenated and it's it's really good to see um, Les in particular and the rest of the band still uh, taking an active interest because Les tends to only pursue things as long as it's uh, Les Claypool. Mm-hmm. Only pursue projects uh, for as long as they're uh, scratching his creative itches. So it's great that they're um, that they're really. This is a good time to be a Primus fan, and it's not just a you know a one off tour, and then they're back on back in dormancy. Yeah, yeah. Cause, yeah I, I I thought like Green Nagahide was a a good record too, because like sometimes you know when you get like the you know the reunion tour or reunion album, it's like oh why yeah. bother? <laughs> I mean they. Uh, it's, we don't have to go too much into the Primus chronology today, but they, <laughs> they're pretty much, their last studio album was in 2000 with Antipop, and that was not great as far as Primus records go, and it was a, a different drummer than their first uh, three or four uh, records, which were amazing. And then they went on hi- hiatus for three years and came back in 2003, and uh, they did a couple albums in their entirety and played two set shows and everything. Um, and they released an EP, Animals Should Not Try to Act Like People, which was five uh, new songs along with a, a DVD of all their music videos and a bunch of other cool stuff. Uh, but then after those two, show, those two tours in 2003 and 2004, they went dormant again. And uh, they did a few sort of nostalgic tours, like in 2006 when their greatest hit uh, record came out due to obligation with the record company. They toured that for a little while. And then uh, they did a couple one-off shows, you know, at festivals and stuff uh, in 2008 and 9 and 10. Um, but since Jay Lane has come back, it's just been a total revitalization um, and a whole new era. And I would say Green Nogahide is one of their strongest, certainly one of their strongest records in years. Uh, obviously, compared to, in my opinion, better than the Brown album and Antipop, uh, and probably on par with some of their earlier stuff too. So it's a really great. Uh, thing to see for Primus fans that have been eagerly awaiting the band's return. Yeah. Although I, I do have to disagree with you on uh anti pop. I really like that record a lot. <laughs> it's a good record. It's not uh it's very it's probably my least favorite. Uh, mm-hmm. but I put it on, you know, fairly regularly. It's just a different period for the band. It's kinda like their new metal uh sound and it's very I think it's it's a rough spot for fans and for Les himself because he personally has distanced himself from that record because um, it was a period of time in the band's history when they were suddenly they had you know they would they had always been famous for not caring about pop culture and not caring about being on MTV and suddenly um, because they were on tour with like Limp Bizkit and stuff suddenly they were they found themselves uh, unhappy that their uh, their music videos weren't getting played on MTV and and stuff and they sort of had gotten burned out and they sort of needed to take some time back to, to reevaluate. So it is a it is a good record, uh, certainly better than most of the stuff that's out there. But as far as mm-hmm. Primus records go, it's it's toward the bottom for me. Yeah. Yeah, I liked Brown album a lot too, but I wish it were recorded better. Yeah, that's kind of the whole thing. It's 
it's got a very distinct feel to it, and it's got that very boomy, I don't know what you call it. Uh, we talked about Lo-Fi with John uh, back in episode 10. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has that sort of a, that boomy, gritty feel, which is kind of, it's nice because it's distinct and you can identify the Brown album, like... Immediately? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, for me, I like, I hear, like, distortion on it, too, which, I mean, in a in a bad way, like, in a not recorded right way rather than a you know, awesome way, and it's sort of like, dang it, these songs are awesome. Like, go back and try again. <laughs> Thing They wanted to make it a dark and murky sort of sound, and it, it sounds fitting for, you know, an album called The Brown Album. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. But, but yeah, I, I, I dig Primus. I, I think for, for me, I think my least favorite might be uh, Pork Soda. Wow. Would, Which I know is an unpopular opinion. Uh, Pork Soda was their uh, breakout. I think it's their best-selling record to date still. It came out in 93, and it's got My Name is Mud and and the other quote-unquote hits mm-hmm. on there. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because I just um, read on the message, somebody called it their uh, their least accessible record. And I never really thought about it that way, but I think it it's an interesting point because it does have... Um, that's that they they play Green Naga Hide and Frizzle Fry and Caesar Cheese uh, in their entirety. And they haven't done that with Pork Soda. And uh, it is a little bit, because it's got more, not filler tracks, but... Um, kind of it's For me, it's a little bit too jammy. And it ends up getting kind of boring to me. Like, the, the, the standout tracks on Pork Soda are really, really good. But it, it, like, kind of like you were saying, it, it, it seems like one of the most fillery of the the Primus records. It just sort of like I think I think it could be trimmed because I I mean isn't it like about the longest of all the Primus records too? Probably is. I mean I'm looking. You've got Pork Chops Little Ditty, which you know they usually have, which is a, just a little a s- little scrap intro track kind of thing. Yeah, they bookend getting in the end, but you've got this amazing run of My Name Is Mud, Welcome to This World, Bob, DMV, Old Diamondback Sturgeon. Nature Boy, which is just a fantastic uh, run of songs on any Primus record. True. And Wounded Knee is a two and a half minute percussion uh, Tim Alexander sort of solo. And then uh, Pork Soda is a good song. It's only, you know, two and a half minutes also. And then you got Pressman, Mr. Crinkle. The Air is Getting Slippery is uh, kind of more one of their upright sort of ditties, but still a great song. And then you've got. Yeah, I, I like Air is Getting Slippery quite a bit. Uh, it's one of the ones that, like, when I had a radio show uh, in college, like, with my friend Jeremiah, who the 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 wedding guy, <laughs> uh, we used to, like, he, he would get cranky because I'd want to play that, like, every episode. <laughs> Great little song. But then you do have, uh, so compared to the, the first half of the record, half is definitely a little bit less consistent because um, you've got short songs, you've got songs songs, and then it's got uh, the minute of Porkchop's Little Ditty at the end, and then you have Hail Santa, which is just a minute, 50 seconds of, of sort of silence and filler. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I know what you mean, but uh, the what a great... Uh, great first side. <laughs> but anyway, that's a lot of Primus talk for a show where there are no Primus picks, so we'll have to save the rest for a show. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I saw Primus yesterday, and it was great. Uh, so Rich, you saw a concert too? Yeah, two concerts. I went uh, Friday night, went out to this uh, art gallery in uh, technically South Philly. It's one block below South Street, so that's technically South Philly. Friends of mine, a band called Hot Guts, were performing. 
and but before them there were a few other bands. Uh, oh goodness, um, for, one was called Sleeping Bag. I think they're from Indianapolis, which were an interesting little uh, college, you know, '90s college rock three piece. They're okay. Um, that was followed by uh, I don't remember the name of the band, uh, but they were loud. It was just two two drum sets. Uh, heavy medical. There we go. Yeah, two drum kits, a bass, and a hell of a lot of screaming. Wow. <laughs> they were surprisingly good, but oh, they were loud. <laughs> and acid kicks. Just they started out good, but they're great musicians. They just wish they had songs. You know. <laughs> songs I know. Are crucial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, instead of just like. Uh, to give you an idea, there were these two drunk hipster girls who started out the set just going crazy, dancing like nutballs, and they wore themselves out because you know, they, they even they just gave up. It's like, ah! <laughs> and, but Hot Guts were really awesome. So, that was fun. And last night I saw uh, Hot Chip. Uh-huh. So it was a hot weekend. I knew someone was going to go there. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I'm chick. <laughs> yeah. Hot Chip, Hot Chip was just amazing. Um, the opening band was pretty cool too. Uh, I don't never remember what they're called. I want to say from Chromatics. There we go. And they were okay. I wish they were a little higher tempo, but it was all right. Nice dark electronic stuff. And though the cover of Hey Hey My My was a little uh, surprising. Mm. I just wish they'd finished it. They only did the first two verses. Oh, lame. I know. You, you can't do that song without at least doing the bit about Johnny Rotten. Well, yeah, that's the entire point of the song. Yeah. Anyway, well, Hot Chip just killed it. They were really intense. Uh, you actually got the... It was mostly a crowd of hipster guys, and it got them moving. Which is, a, in my opinion, a sign that someone's doing something right. Yeah. And mostly good. it was a lot of stuff... It was mostly stuff from their new album. Like, they did five songs off the new album... And some of my favorites from uh, One Life Stand and some older stuff that... Uh, it's weird. I mean, I think a lot of pe- people were there to hear the older stuff, and I was there to hear the newer stuff. <laughs> yeah, so I'm uh, still wearing my wristband from Gathering of the Vibes, and I only woke up a little while ago, so I'm running on uh, post-concert cylinders here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good feeling. Yeah. So, do you, in which case, do you want to do your pick first, or... Oh, I should point yeah, out, we can this, do. Yeah, this week we decided to go with a, a sort of a theme for our picks. Uh, we're doing the be- our favorite albums from 1996. Yeah, we, we actually punched, that, punched in a uh, random number generator to pick the year. Uh, it was like, what, from 65 to this year? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we uh, punched it in, and it spit out uh, 96, which ended up being, you know pretty nice because of the, the whole rhyme thing yeah and yeah. Uh, I had some good things to choose from too in my library yeah I think I think we all did because I know it, like I had about like I, I've got like my little list of you know the ones and I think I had like about like three or four that like I really had to, to sweat over mm-hmm. I mean this is the year that gave us um, you know two Bell and Sebastian albums so that that was something right there and my goodness, and just going through Pinkerton came out that year. Love that album. Uh, Cathal Coffin's first solo album, uh, the first Steve Momato album was '96. Mm-hmm. 
uh, Takako Minakawa, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Rumi Cube, I've got... Well, that wasn't her first. That was, but... No, that was, it was her first U.S. album, I think. Okay. Because Chat Chat was her first album album. Mm-hmm. But uh, you picked, uh, Andrew, uh, a Victor Wooten record. I did, and I had a few different... Like I just said, I had a few different records to choose from. Um... One of which, the, the main two that I was debating between were uh, Crash by Dave Matthews Band. I mean, I haven't talked about a Dave Matthews Band record yet on the show. Uh, but I opted to go with uh, Victor Wooten's first solo album, uh, A Show of Hands. And uh, it was just, he just re-released it last year or the year before uh, for its 15th anniversary. I suppose it would have been last year. Um, so it's called A Show of Hands, and it's really a landmark record for bass players. And, well, let me preface this by saying uh, Victor Wooten, one of the great bass virtuosos of all time, probably, in my opinion, I think the greatest uh, living bassist uh, today. And um, so, yeah, Victor Wooten, um, known for playing bass with Bela Fleck and the Flecktones. Uh, he's guested with Dave Matthews', Matthews Band uh, many times. And... Um, his first solo record, A Show of Hands, came out in 96, and it's a landmark record for bass players because, similar to Jaco Pastorius's uh, self-titled album, it just completely blew the doors off what people had previously thought of bass. So before Jaco's record, I forget, I'll have to look up when that came out, um, before Jaco's record, people, you know, the bass was really just a rhythm instrument, and the electric bass, you know, was only... 20 or 25 years old at that point and then Jocko came out with his self-titled debut and uh, it starts with a cover of Donna Lee which is a jazz standard and it's just a, a tour de force in terms of chops um, you know obviously very difficult to play and he's, he's said in interviews that it took him years to learn how to play that and so Jocko's debut really just um, completely turned the bass on its head in terms of uh, he's a f- you know famous for pioneering the fretless bass and uh, using harmonics and having this really singing gorgeous uh, melodic quality to the instrument that previously was completely unheard of. And so Victor's record uh, in '96 is sort of similar um, in the sense that it's the first. I don't. I'm assuming it's the first record um, which is just solo electric bass, no overdubs. Um, it's really just Victor and uh, his four strings and some vocals uh, here and there. Uh, so for its for its its display of chops and virtuosity alone, it's uh, it's a very important record as far as uh, bassists go. Uh, Victor's put out several records since, and um, this is the only record that is completely bass only. Um, so it's perhaps. It's still, in my opinion, it's still a very listenable record because Victor is just an amazing musician. If anybody can make an entire record of just solo bass, uh, it's him. Uh, and so the track, uh, there are a few standout tracks that are like really uh, just Victor Wooten staples uh, that come from this record. And one of them is uh, You Can't Hold No Groove, and we'll play a little bit for that uh, for you guys now.
so you can't hold no groove is just a great example of Victor's uh, playing style and his his virtuosity as a musician because it's kind of because of how the bass is difficult to play as a solo instrument because it's it's designed um, you know to be a part of the rhythm section and it's traditionally a, a supportive role and to be able to take the bass and to do a performance uh, where you hold the listener's attention. Um, with just your four strings is uh, an incredible feat and um, you can't hold no groove uh, is just so memorable for its groove and um, for Victor's playing and uh, it's just amazing how he can uh, pull this off and how that's just one guy um, with four strings Um, so the other track that I that I mentioned was me and my bass guitar which is sort of along the same lines and uh you know, I don't have much more to say about it than other. It's just an amazing, uh, it's amazing landmark in the bass guitar's history. And um, as a bass player, it's obviously a great record. Uh, but I'm interested uh, to know what you guys thought as as non-bass players uh, listening to a full record of, of just solo bass. So, you guys go ahead. Well, for me, like I mean, bass is one of my favorite instruments anyway. Like I mean, I I wish I were a lot. I wish I were better at bass. I mean, I can like pick a few things out but i mean other than that i mean i yeah i i i basically i i am not great at guitar but like i i, I am buckethead compared to my uh, skills on the bass you know <laughs> so so but i i still i love listening to bass and i i just kind of like i guess you know low range inst- or low sound instruments like uh like Barry Sax and stuff like that too. So so I, I, I dug this record. Like um by the way, was that uh on the intro to uh You Can't Hold No Groove? Was that Bootsy? No, that's JD Blair. Oh, okay, because it sounded like it like he was doing a pretty good uh Bootsy impress oppression. It was like one where it, it sounded a little bit not like Bootsy, but it was enough that made me think it was. No, that's a good guess because Bootsy has uh, has played on some other of uh, Victor's tracks. But yeah, that's JD Blair, who's a phenomenal uh, drummer. Uh, but he just contributes that little vocal intro. Okay, yeah, I, I just was kind of curious, just because yeah, it was like sounded a lot like Bootsy, and I know that he, you know, sometimes just shows up to do like weird little like vocal bits from time to time on on people's records. So. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I really dug this record. Um, it actually reminded me a lot of Buckethead, actually, just with bass instead of guitar. Yeah. And um, like, I, I really liked uh, You Can't Hold No Groove, and uh, I thought like uh, Classical Thump was awesome. Yeah, that's a pretty amazing uh, piece. Yeah, and I liked uh, Words of Wisdom pretty well with the samples. I thought that was like a pretty good mix, and that worked pretty well. Um. The main thing I didn't really like with the record was the links. Like, I liked the the NPR link was kind of funny, but like everything else was kind of like, okay, you can you can you can go back to the the records record now. You know, it was just sort of like, I don't know, and it's it's kind of a weird kind of thing because it it seems that they're like link tracks like that seem to show up on records kind of often, and I don't know if they ever really work. <laughs> Um, yeah, Matt's talking about the little tracks. I think uh, like a lot of stuffies, and um, what else we got? Live for Peace and Radio W O O Ten. For me, you know, because on this record they're so so short, uh, they don't uh, 
I don't have a problem with them, obviously. But yeah, there there are a lot of them, and um, but I think it just kind of adds to the feel. With me and my bass, I was a little like because the bass uh, guitar stuff was really really cool, of course, but the the lyrics were kind of dumb, <laughs> and it was like sort of like like kind of like going back to Buckethead. It kind of reminded me of Ballad of Buckethead from Monsters and Robots, except that Buckethead got less playful to sing about him, so it was really, really awesome and funny and great. Yeah. There's not, uh, I mean, when it comes to reasons for listening to Victor Wooten, his, you know, his lyrics, um, he's a good singer, but I mean, his lyrics are not uh, at the forefront, obviously. So, I mean, my bass guitar, I think, does have a little bit of a novel, novelty quality to it, um, but still a great uh, you know, it's a it's one of the bass anthems, and it is a little bit, you know, a little cheesy because he is singing about him and his bass guitar. But still, I like it. Yeah, yeah, I I, I really liked the music on that one. I just kind of and and like you say, he does have a great voice. It's just that I wish that he, I don't know, like sat down and and wrote something out instead of or, or something. It's uh, it's fun. You know, it's it's lighthearted and it's not. Uh, it doesn't take itself too seriously and. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that is one of its kind of saving graces is that it is clearly, you know, not not intended to be, you know, his, his manifesto or anything. It's just, you know, kind of a kind of a fucking around kind of thing, but I just sort of like I I didn't think it in, entirely worked, but I mean at least it wasn't it wasn't like really like self-important or anything like that. I mean that would have just completely torpedoed it. But. Yeah. Definitely. Cool. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I um, the thing about uh, a solo bass record is that it's it's interesting interesting to see how listenable non bass players find it um, because to me it is it's extremely listenable and that was one of Victor's goals was to to make a full a solo bass record and to still have it be something that you could sit down and listen to um, from start to finish and. Uh, it's perhaps a little bit less accessible than some of his later records, which are full band, um, but still just amazing how he can uh, how he can pull it off. So, Rich, what were your thoughts? Yeah, as the as the actual non bass player in the group, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> like my dad has one, and I fuck around on it. That's about the extent of my. I would never consider myself even remotely a bass player. <laughs> okay, but as a person who's never who's only held a bass once. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, it's, it was definitely very listenable. I still I felt like a little lost. Um, just yeah, I don't know if I have necessarily the appreciation of the bass as an instrument to appreciate the record as it should be appreciated. But it was very listenable, and I was surprised more by the range that you could get out of the instrument. Yeah, yeah. Some of it it did sound it didn't sound like bass at all. It sounded more like you know like a steel guitar or something at times, which yeah, definitely caught me by surprise. That- it depends on his uh, his technique. Like you can't hold no groove is all uh, slapping or mm-hmm. thumping. You know where you thumb with the where you hit the strings with the thumb and then you pluck them with the index and middle fingers. Um, and then you've got some of the softer songs in the middle of the record uh, that are, are a lot more melodic. And um, he also does a lot of two finger tapping uh, where he you know taps the strings uh, almost as if he's playing a piano. So instead of uh, fretting with one hand and plucking with the other hand, he taps the string and presses them down, which causes them to ring out uh, sort of like a piano. So, yeah, you can, um, especially in a a musician as skilled as Victor is, uh, you can get a wide range of tones and make the bass. It's actually very melodic, you know, because the thing is that 
all instruments have the same 12 notes on them. So it's just up to the, the player to be able to, uh, to unlock its different sounds. So that's how I felt. I did. I have to agree with Matt. I think some of the interstitial jokey tracks were kind of annoying. But uh, this is something I, I should probably go back to. I'm not terribly uh, up on my jazz. I'm not terribly up on my solo bass. <laughs> so, yeah, I was just... I mean, I don't feel like I was thrown into the deep end here, but I definitely... Uh, it's going to take a little bit of work to fully appreciate the album in the way that you do. Yeah, it's not uh, something that you come across, you know, every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's good. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. I didn't know if uh, if you were going to find it as listenable as you did. Um, and it is, even though Victor's live shows, like I've explained in the past, are like so entertaining and dance-oriented and funky and, and everything, uh, this record is a li- very listening-oriented uh, record because you can't, uh, you know, because it doesn't have drums and it doesn't have guitar and stuff on it. So you kind of do have to just uh, put it on and listen um, to it. But I'm glad it went over so well. That's good. And that's definitely a, an improvement over last week. <laughs> ah, cool. So we're off to a better start this week. Good. So far. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess I'll take one. Let's uh, go compl- something completely different. Um, instead of solo unaccompanied bass, mostly solo unaccompanied guitar and vocals. Um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if I threw any of you for a loop by picking uh, a folk record, but uh, this is the first did record. For, uh, I'm sorry. You definitely did for me. Yeah, okay. a bit actually. Like for <laughs> like uh, for a minute, I actually like I ended up having to look up the record because I thought that you cheated and like pulled out like and like a lost record from the '60s or something too, and just the sound. <laughs> yeah. And I was like. Yeah. Dude, we aren't doing like archival, you know, things that were just having to be released in '96. <laughs> no, 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 no. The only cheating I did was my original pick, which I, I corrected. Uh, I mean, my original hook. So, but uh, this is the uh, debut album by Bill Fox. It's called Shelter from the Smoke, and uh, came out. The original release came out in '96. It was a 15-track release. Uh, then next year it was put out with 18 tracks but it did originally come out in 96 so that's how I can get away with it thank you <laughs> my original and it was recorded in 96 too so it's okay yeah, yeah. my original pick for the record I, I, I thought was I was going to do Bird of the World but that was his 95 single so I can't do that so I'm going to do the closing track uh, from Shelter from the Smoke which is Bass Storm and let's hear a little bit of that right now Bass Storm Bill Fox came to my attention through the 2007 issue of the, the 2007 music issue of the Believer magazine, which featured a um, article about Bill, wondering where he had gone. So here's a little. Here's basically the backstory. In the late '80s, uh, well, mid to late '80s, Bill Bill Fox was the lead singer guitar player for the Mice, uh, power pop garage pop band from Cleveland. And no, I wasn't deliberately picking another Ohio artist just because of Ohio. Um, <laughs> so uh, the Mice 
put out one really amazing uh, EP and one pretty decent record and then broke up. And in 1995, Bill Fox uh, came back to the music world as a doing folk music and he put out two albums, Shelter from the Smoke and Transit Byzantium. And I'll be honest, I think Transit Byzantium is actually the better of the two records, but this is still a really good one. And after that, vanished. Um, so in 2007, uh, the article uh, by Joe Hagen, uh, he's like, he, he, I don't, I don't remember exactly how he came across um, the song "My Baby Crying" off of Transit Byzantium, but that's that's the track that was thrown onto the CD for the uh, for the magazine. And he just wanted to try and track him down, find out what happened. He interviewed his brother, who was also in the mice, and this and that. And eventually, it turns out, Bill Fox was working as a telemarketer in the same newspaper building that the uh, article writer was working in. He had stopped making music. He basically cut himself off from the world. Um, in fact, you can't, e- and you can't even read the article online because Bill Fox requested in the very brief interview slash just conversation they had outside the building one day that he just doesn't want to, uh, he doesn't want to be on the internet. Good luck with that. Um, yeah. but so for those of that, you can't read the article online. Um, you know, out of respect. And once the article came out, he started getting some iTunes royalties. And so he started performing as recently back in 2009, again, uh, performing again, just solo. Um, and last year, uh, or rather, no, two years ago, sorry, um, 2009, sorry, damn it, I, I'm, I'm terrible at this, uh, they re-released um, Shelter from the Smoke on another on Scat Records with a bunch of bonus tracks. Uh, it's the same 18-track releases came out in 97, plus uh, the Bird of the World single and three other uh, songs that from uh, a band he was in between The Mice and, what he, uh, and his so- solo career. And as soon as I heard My Baby Crying, I just knew, oh, wow, this guy really is an incredible musician, incredible singer. And, uh, you know, it's it's a shame that he doesn't appreciate himself the way that other people do, because this is just amazing stuff. Mm. Sad. Yeah. Well, you totally, um, like you said, Rich, you totally throw me a loop, threw me for a loop with this pick. Um it doesn't didn't uh, seem like something that uh, you would choose, and it did. Like Matt was saying, it didn't strike me as sounding like it was from the '90s either, uh, which I kind of enjoyed. Uh, you know, in the band that I'm in, we do a lot of '90s uh, sort of Stone Temple Pilots and Alice in Chains uh, rock covers, and uh, you know, sort of like the '80s does. The '90s kind of have a particular feel um, where you can kind of say you can kind of imagine like oh yeah this, this sounds like a 90s track and this was obviously completely uh removed from that uh which i really enjoyed which i think it contributes to the timelessness of the songs mm-hmm. and uh i okay so the as for the record itself i really enjoyed it i um you know i like the acoustic guitar and i like um my fair share of folk uh music and i put this on uh just yesterday uh in the morning uh, when I was driving to uh, yoga, and you know, I think seven thirty in the morning 
you know, on a beautiful summer day is an excellent uh, time of day to listen to this record. And just I was, uh, you know, I was driving and there was very little traffic and it was a, a beautiful day outside and, and the music was just the perfect fit. Um, so I'm definitely going to uh, put this on again. Um, I think my only complaint was that it was too long and i suppose you know how many records does he have is it just the two yeah two albums and this was the expanded re-release so okay all right there's another five tracks that got added on to the 18 track version that was originally a 15 track album gotcha okay yeah so that probably explains it but yeah for me uh it was a little you know because it's an hour and 12 minutes long according Mm -hmm. to itunes here and Pretty much uh, a full CD packed packed to the gills. <laughs> yeah, it's packed to the gills, and uh, that's a lot of sort of sp- soft-spoken uh, acoustic music for me. So by the time I was getting towards the latter half of the record, I was getting a little um, tired and needed something, you know, needed the energy to pick up a little bit. But still, you know, uh, a, a very enjoyable record, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to putting it out again. Yeah, you should really check out, if you like this, you should check out his second album, Transit Byzantium. Uh, I don't think it's in print, but like that's going to stop anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bill, if you're listening, which you're not, do whatever you have to do to get the Transit Byzantium back in print, because we want to give you money. Yes. Matt? I, I, I likewise, um, like I said, this was unexpected from you, but it, it, it was really, really awesome. Um, I love his voice. I mean, he's got like a really great pop sensibility. And like I said, like, I, I honestly thought that you were cheating. I, I was like, okay, this is some weird folk singer from the sixties and like it was lost, but like they released it in the nineties. Okay. It's, it's good enough that I'm not really going to call you on it, but dude, we, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and then it, then I actually, it's like, I kind of broke my rule of not looking up stuff when I'm listening to it and I looked him up and I was like oh weird okay <laughs> this this is legit you know yeah. Rich didn't cheat at all <laughs> but um, it kind of reminds me of uh, Phil Oaks actually just with like a, a much prettier voice and his voice kind of reminds me a lot of uh, Scott McCoy from uh, the, the Young Fresh Fellows and the Minus Five like it's kind of like if like like I guess Kind of, I guess, like with like Scott singing Phil Oaks type of songs, if that makes sense. Mm. And um, I love Phil Oaks, so and I love uh, the fellows in the minus five, of course. So, so that, that's definitely a good thing, at least for uh, in terms of you know touching base with stuff, you know. And but yeah, I I really liked this record. I I liked uh, Bass Storm. I I really liked uh, Let's Be Buried Together too. I thought that was a really great song. But yeah, just in general, I I really dug this record. You know, once I was all like, "Okay, Rich isn't cheating." <laughs> yeah, I a uh, funny story about "Let's Be Buried Together." I when I was listening to that track, somehow or another, I had accidentally hit um, repeat one track on my iPhone, mm-hmm. and it was on that track. And so I listened to it, and you know, obviously it played like three or four times, but I didn't realize that the song was starting over. Again, so I was like, "This is the longest song about let's be buried together, <laughs> like of all time." So anyway, just funny that you mentioned that track in particular. I just noticed something on his uh, Wikipedia page. Apparently, Bill Fox is supposed to be putting out a new album this year. I- I'm looking forward to that. I'll-, I'll definitely be picking it up. Yeah, that 
Absolutely. Same here. So, okay. Two for two. and Two for yeah. two. Not bad. And yeah, one of the reasons I did pick this album specifically was to see if uh, was to pick something a little different. You know, I do I don't I do listen to stuff that isn't just you know people with synthesizers going boop 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 <laughs> boop boop yeah. boop. Not just crazy synth humping. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. Yeah, and there's not a lot of that on your pick either. No, no, I I actually like that was with mine is like I actually did try to pull something that was. Well, both really good, but also a little bit more, uh, I guess, accessible <laughs> than uh, the Frank Chickens from uh, last week. So I, I chose uh, the Posies' uh, "Amazing Disgrace." The track that I chose, which ha- ends up being the first track on the album, was "Daily Mutilation." So let's hear a little bit of that now. Posies are, are kind of a, a hometown hero kind of band. They, uh, they're from Bellingham, Washington, which is a college town right up by the border of, um, between uh, Washington and Canada. So they, there's that. But, and they end up, like, especially earlier, you know, playing here a lot. But now, like, uh, Ken Stringfellow lives in uh, Paris, mostly. And I don't know where John Auer lives. I... You know, I, I think he's still in town, but I don't know. Um, but anyway, though, like just really great power pop kind of stuff. And uh, they're actually the Posies um, were briefly the uh, backing band for Big Star when they kind of reformed with like Alex Chilton. So there's there's that kind of thing, too. But um, I really like this record. This is like I think this is my first Posies record, actually. And it actually kind of broke my heart a little bit when uh, I saw them live. And they were like, okay, uh, here's something from Amazing Disgrace. I, I think it was Ontario. But it was like, here's something from uh, Amazing Disgrace. What an angry piece of shit record that was. <laughs> wow. And it is a kind of an angry record. That There is that one. But I don't think it's a piece of shit at all. I love it. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's um, I, th- I just think it's a really great record. Really catchy. Like, like daily mutilation in Ontario are like really great. Like I love uh, everybody is a fucking liar. Like those three were also ones that I almost chose for the hook. Um, so yeah, I just think it's like a really great record. It's an angry non piece of shit record. How about that? So what do mm. you guys think? Rich, you go first, please. Okay, this one <laughs> this was this was okay. Um, yeah, it didn't quite grab me, uh, but what. If the your pick, the hook, uh, really did impress me. Uh, darn it, I can't remember the title. It just said, I, "Can you tell I had a late night too?" <laughs> Daily mutilation. Daily mutilation. Yeah. <laughs> and you know something? I kept. I for a minute, I, I, I thought you actually picked the Pixies, and I was thinking Wave of Mutilation, and I'm like, wait, did that come out in '96? Why isn't Pixies coming up? Why is it the seven coming up when I look search Pixies in iTunes? Oh wait, no, it's the Posies. Hmm. <laughs> So, um, I don't know if they have anything to do with the Pixies, but anyway. 
<laughs> totally separate band. So, um, so yeah, it, it was okay. Just I think it was a little too angsty for what I wanted to hear at the time, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's very angry, and I have to really be in the mood for that. Um, so, but it's I'll, I'll definitely try to check it out again, and I will admit, "Daily Mutilation" is a great song. But after that, it sort of just I sort of got lost in the uh, in the noise and in the anger, and mm. nothing else really jumped out at me. Okay. So yeah, you can't. I mean, it's 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 not uh, Frank. Ch- it's better than Frank Chickens. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I kind of enjoyed Frank Chickens, but um, I'm kind of with Rich, with Rich on this one. I think that, uh, and I should preface this by saying I listened to this record yesterday uh, on the way home from Gathering of the Vibes, so around 2.30 in the morning when I was running on fumes, so I might not have been in the best headspace to absorb new music, but I kind of agree with Rich. I think that Daily Mutilation was quite good and um, catchy. Um, but after that, I didn't uh, – nothing really sort of grabbed me. And um, I like the – like I like the idea of <laughs> of this record sort of. Like I enjoyed Daily Mutilation and stuff and I kind of was looking forward to another uh, – to the rest of the record sort of being that sort of power pop um, sensibility. Uh, but it's interesting that you described it as catchy, Matt, because I, I did not find it catchy. Like I – I was trying to find like hooks and stuff, and it just seemed to i couldn't uh there was nothing for me to really latch onto so i um I didn't dislike it, but I just there was nothing that grabbed me and sort of wanted me to to go back and listen and but again, I was probably uh, I was definitely exhausted at the time, so I might need to uh to give it another shot, but yeah, not um this one lost this week for me, which is not 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 a bad not in a bad way, but just in the in the least way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess that's what I, I pick for trying to trying to go accessible this this week. <laughs> I, and, I'm friendly. <laughs> well, I think it is it is accessible because I think like all of these songs like could I mean they're all radio friendly length and stuff, um, but there's just there weren't any. I feel like and again I could be completely making this up because I might have been hallucinating at the time, but um, like I was listening to the vocals and like. I would like expect the vocals to go one way and then they would not like I would expect it to there to be a certain rhyme scheme or rhythm and then it wouldn't go that way and so I would be like well I would it would kind of make me stumble a little bit like ah, I can't can't I don't get this you know <laughs> hmm. yeah because I, I honestly figured that this would be you know I figured this would be actually like a, a pretty decent hit, so I'm kind of surprised. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with Rich. I like the Daily Mutilation, but then after that, I just sort of got I got lost in it. Huh? Hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. like with this one, like I mean, I love like Ontario a lot, which is the second track, and um, Hate Song is another really good one, which I think might actually be the third or fourth. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, I, I know that, like, I think the album does get a little muddled in the middle and, and near the end. Mm. But, like, I, I, for me, like, the, 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 the less good tracks are still really good. And then the, the, the tracks that I love just, you know, tend to kick my ass. So, yeah. I don't know. I'm listening to it right now and it's not, I don't dislike it again. Um, but I'm not like, oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's one of those albums that I, I just, 
I don't know. I think you have to be in the right mind space and the right time for it. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm not feeling this one. I, uh, okay. It's okay. Yeah. It doesn't like offend this. me on any particular level, but yeah. I was going to say like, um, if, if you are curious about like maybe more of the posies and a, a less angry, uh, record, um, I would probably like frosting on the beater was their, their hit record. And, but I really like uh, Deer 23 a lot too. Well, I like the title of Frosting on the Beater. Yeah, but then again, I'm, I'm a fat kid. I, I've, I, do, I like frosting. Well, that and it's also, you know, the, the title track is like about whacking it, so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had so much frosting yesterday. <sighs> but I kind of agree with Rich. Like, Bill Fox was perfect for early Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess maybe it's because of the anger quotient, but. Uh, Amazing Disgrace was not fantastic for um, 2.30 in the morning. Uh, maybe because it, it is a little bit noisy and sort of, you know, that time that I was listening to it is not a noisy time of day. So, Yeah, and this probably is like the loudest Posey's record. Hmm. Like the, the loudest, most noisy. Like, like a lot of their stuff is a lot more mellow. Like, uh, there's a song uh, that actually, like, Ringo Starr covered, which is kind of cool, uh, called uh, Golden Blunders. And I'm, I'm, I'll throw a, a link to the uh, YouTube uh, in the show notes for that one. So you can, you know, kind of uh, hear that one. And that's, that one's probably, I think that one's on Deer 23, I think. Either that or Frosting. Um, and that one, that one's a little bit more normal posies-y. Mm-hmm. So... But yeah, I, I, I dig the posies. Um but like I said too, I mean I'm in I'm in I'm in Seattle and like the you know, it's like one where I think like, you know, when when you, you, you come to Seattle they pretty much like just issue you your your copy of like at least frosting on the beater and you know. <laughs> so we have some people uh, for their picks of nineteen ninety six. Yes we do. Yeah. And not a lot of people actually replied, so I'm a little bummed by that, but we got a few. I got uh, one. Shoot. You've go take take it. Yeah, I had a um, well I have a new show, uh, a new podcast called the Zen Geek Podcast, which is at zengeek.net. Uh, oh, I see. You you want to take this so you can promote your other podcast cuz we're not good enough. I'm I'm going to go on. <laughs> no, I had That's no, a it's a great uh, was, show. I love it. <laughs> thank you very much. Um yeah, well, but I co-host it with uh, a gentleman named Jeffrey Inshow who uh, writes at staticmade.com and he is a crush on radio fan, uh, which I was very flattered by. And he uh, wanted to offer his pick, uh, which is static prevails, which is a record by is it Jimmy eat world static prevails. Hang on. I don't know. I'm not, I wasn't familiar with it. So, but I want to make sure I give him a shout out here. Static prevails. I'm pretty sure it's a Jimmy eat world record. Yeah. The second album by Jimmy eat world. Um, are you guys big Jimmy Eat World fans? Because I know a lot of people uh, are big fans, and I have not gotten into them yet. I've never really like. I mean, I think uh, the middle, like their big big smash hit single, was actually really pretty good. But aside from that, I've never really. They've never really jazzed me. Jimmy Eat World. The middle is their big. Yeah, it's like thing. it. And it's like really like upbeat power pop. Gotta take some time. Dibba, 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 dibba. Oh yeah, that song. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that song. Maybe if I heard it, I'd know it. Cause <laughs> no, it, it sounds kind of, sort of familiar. But I, I'd have to hear hear it to know. 
I'm not going to assume. Mm. Yeah, I'll put a link to the middle in the uh, in the show notes. But yeah, I know a lot of people um, whose musical tastes I largely respect and agree with uh, enjoy Jimmy World, and apparently they're. I guess I don't know if it was their first album or what, um, but one of their albums is like people love it. Uh, I forget which one, but I need to I need to get into the Jimmy E world. I think I I never have because I just associated the middle with them. Mm-hmm. As, and you know, I kind of dismissed it as you know a good catchy you know radio single. But apparently the their their records are really good, so we have to look into that on Jeffrey's behalf. I got a couple folks who uh, chipped in on the Twitter, including. Uh I'm gonna gotta actually bring this up here, uh, Monty, Monty Good, uh, your friend Matt. Yep, yep. And uh, it's kind of funny because of these, I think I only actually like one or two of his picks, which I found was interesting. Hey, do you want do you want to take these? Sure, sure. Um, his uh, his picks were uh, Down on the Upside by Soundgarden, Odelay by Beck. Uh, yeah, Odelay by Beck. I almost got that backwards. <laughs> Beck by Odelay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, New Adventures in Hi-Fi by R.E.M., uh, With These Hands by Alejandro Escovedo, and with honorable mentions are uh, Alice in Chains Unplugged and Wallflowers Bringing Down the Horse. And it's kind of funny because of those, I only really like um, Odelay and, and uh, New Adventures in Hi-Fi is okay, too. But like the other stuff like doesn't do it for me. I almost picked uh, Bringing Down the Horse, actually. I really I, did. I, that was I was one of the things I thought was funny that he mentioned is like when we were when we were all talking about him like after last week's show and it's kind of funny with like Alejandro Escovedo because I'm a big Americana guy I really like you know that that kind of like alt country stuff and he is one of the Alejandro Escovedo is like, sort of like one of the big you know kind of like you know one of the the Beatles of the genre and for whatever reason he's just always left me cold and I I don't know why that is but it's just sort of like you know it's sort of like i mean like you know not liking alejandro escovedo is you know for an americana type of guy is almost like you know being all like yeah rolling stones yeah <laughs> mm. so. and there are plenty that's of people how i feel who about the rolling stones the... <laughs> i was about to say there are plenty of people who are mad on the rolling stones i think we've got one here well yeah yeah tell you the truth like i like the early stone stuff but like uh, the later they went the more dodgy they got Mm-hmm. But but I don't know. It just seems like sort of like I don't know. It, it's and I mean, admittedly, like you know, I mean, Americana fans is kind of a small pond. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. sort of interesting. Like Alejandro's never really done it for me. And same with Soundgarden. Honestly, not that they're Americana, but yeah, didn't they do that really miserable cover of "Girl You Want"? Yeah. Okay. Um. I'm going to kind of talk a little bit about bringing down the horse and why I almost picked it. Sure. Yeah, I think I was just there at the right time. That is one of the uh, the albums that's sort of the soundtrack to my high school years before I uh, got into the electronic stuff. And honestly, some, some of the songs in there are just really, really good. Um, one Headlight is good. Um, what, what else is on there? I mean, I, I have no interest in anything the Wallflowers did before or after this record, so... Sixth Avenue Heartache, uh, The Difference is an okay song. One of my favorites is a track on there. I should probably see if there's a YouTube link to this. God Don't Make Lonely Girls, which I've never heard anyone else mention. Hmm. So. And, you know, it's just... It, it's, it's, it's there. It's got it. It's, it's, it's memories, you know? Yeah. 
Oh, uh, Joe Meyer put a comment on the uh, site with a couple of his picks from 96, by the way. Oh, yes. Yeah, DJ Shadow introducing uh, One Fierce Beard Coaster by the Bloodhound Gang. That That's one that I, like, I came late to, but I, I have a feeling that that if, if if I had come earlier to it, like I pro that would have probably have had to fight with Weird Al on, okay. like being like you know my sixteen year old pick. <laughs> uh, homework by Daft Punk that actually came out in ninety seven. So oh. sorry, Joe. <laughs> Which is a shame because if 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 we'd picked ninety seven, I totally would have picked that. Yeah, it's a great record. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, I'd love me some Daft Punk. Yes, and um. Marilyn See. Manson's Antichrist Superstar. Now, I'm sorry. There's a there's an artist I never could get into. I I actually like I kind of dig Marilyn Manson. I mean, like I know a lot of it's like you know the 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 image stuff is a little like amp, but I actually like a lot of the records. I, I think that you know I think that he's actually pretty underrated as an actual artist rather than uh, uh, image factory. I guess. Mm. Mm. Well, I am envious that he got to uh, do uh, make it with Dita Von Tees. Mm. No, there's there's an attractive lady. Yes. <laughs> uh, Anemia by Tool. Tool's another band I never saw the appeal of. I think we it's, discussed that way back when. Yeah, Tool I respect a lot, but I've just never really gotten into them, and it's like, yeah, me neither. Kind of weird. Like, they, I I think that they would be up my alley, and I, like I say, I do respect them a lot, and I, I hear a lot of musicianship there, and like Maynard seems like a really cool guy, mm-hmm. but it just never is really done it for me, I guess. Yeah. There's also the band Moist and an album called uh, Creature. I don't know what that is. Uh, I actually <laughs> had to I had to look this up on, on Wikipedia actually, and I was actually worried that I was going to click, there's, there's, there's several bands named Moist, and at least a couple of them overlapped. Um, there's the Canadian band, which is what Joe Meyer was referring to. There's also a pop rock band uh, from London, uh, there's a U.S. band called Moist from Pittsburgh, and there's a jazz fusion band that I know he wasn't referring to because they formed in 2005. And then there's the folk rock band from Brighton. It's, so people don't name your band Moist. It's kind of funny because I mean, Moist is just such an ugly word anyway. Like, why would you name it to begin with? You know? Are we really going to have this discussion? I don't understand the, what people have against the word Moist. I don't know. It just, I, I, I don't hate it as much as other people do. I mean, there are some people who just, you know, who probably turned us off at the, the mention of the word moist just because they hate it so much. Yeah. I, I don't know. It it just has, I think it's just sort of the, the combination of letters and, and sound just kind of, I don't know. It's oh, moist. Uh, okay. My goodness. And we all hit, uh, Brian Kelly, who, uh, of the Tana with the Random podcast, also dropped one on us. Uh, the self-titled album by Duncan Sheik, who I'll also that I've never heard of. I've heard of Duncan Sheik. Like, um, he's never really done it for me, but, like, again, it's sort of, like, I've only been really aware of him, like, kind of tangentially. Mm-hmm. So I've never really sat down and listened to Duncan Sheik, but the little bit that I have is sort of like, oh, okay. But I, it's probably doing. I know that that's doing uh, Mr. Sheik a disservice by you know basically dismissing him on like something like half remembered from seeing on VH1 twenty years ago. Mm. <laughs> he, he did write the music for the musical of Spring Awakening, and he's doing a musical of American Psycho. Huh. I'm not sure how I feel about this. American Psycho is another. Well, I've never read the book, and I tried to watch the movie, but I could never get into it. 
uh, some of the scenes in the uh, I've seen bits and pieces of the movie, and it's it's okay. Uh, I do like the uh, the the, uh, the business card scene. Mm, yeah, and I, I know like a lot of people who like whose opinions I respect about literature who basically would not stop in their car for Brett Easton Ellis. So warned me away from reading the book. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's got. I will say this: He's got good taste in music. He is. He is, his first album was named after an Elvis Costello song. Or fucking. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Less than zero uh, was his first uh, novel, and there's. It's one of my favorite Elvis Costello songs. So. Yeah, it's a great song. I don't know about mm-hmm. the book, but. Yeah, I think he sort of falls, from my understanding, into the same realm as uh, Chuck Palahniuk. Mm. Is that how you say it? I'm. I. I think so. Okay. I've heard people say Poloniak. Okay. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, fight club. Uh, fight club guy. <laughs> yeah. I've only read. I'll be honest. I've read three Poloniak books, and that was probably one too many. I read uh, Fight Club. I read Survivor. Then I read Diary for some reason. And yeah, that's that's enough. Mm-hmm. If I don't have to read anything else by him, I that's I'm fine. <laughs> Is that all of them? I, I guess. Um, yeah. Not too many, but yeah. I guess. Why don't, why don't we talk a little bit about, like, like I guess, runner-up picks, I guess, too. Yeah, well, I, I mentioned um, The Wallflowers, which uh, I dug. Uh, I, I really wanted to pick uh, Belle and Sebastian, but I just thought that was just too easy. Mm-hmm. I, I, I actually, when I got in last night from the show, I put on uh, If You're Feeling Sinister because I just needed something to calm down to. And got is it, both of those two records are just great to sit there and sing along to too. Oh yeah, I mean I love you know um, like their turns of phrase like uh, in um, oh um, uh, uh, state I'm in mm-hmm. you know stuff like you know um, I gave myself to God there was a pregnant pause before he said okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just thought that was a great line, you know, and, and funny. And then you, you know, you have like, you know, the, the, the story where, I mean, it's almost like a farce, but it's yeah. so, song itself is so mellow that if you're not paying attention, you like, you don't realize how funny it is. Yeah. I think a lot of that with Bell and Sebastian, where if you like are just kind of like casually listening, you think they're a bunch of like mopey Scots, but they're actually like kind of a hoot. Yeah. And, <laughs> Yeah, you know, she was into S and M and Bible studies. Not everyone's cup of tea. She would admit to me a cup of tea. She would admit to no one. Yeah, that's one of my favorite lyrics of all time, right there. Yeah. Um, Other than uh, Crash and what did I pick? Oh yeah, Victor Wooten's <laughs> Show of Hands. Uh, you are sleeping, the other one, I was... aren't you, man? <laughs> yeah, I'm a little weary. Um, the other one I would have considered was uh, Les Claypool and the Holy Mackerel, Highball with the Devil, which came out in 96, which was Les's, mm, not his first uh, non-Primus endeavor, but uh, still a great uh, sort of, almost like a solo record of his, um, in the sense that he kind of had all of these songs that he did not want to inflict on uh, the Primus guys, and uh, so he went into the studio uh, in 96 and sort of uh, put them all together and compiled Highball with the Devil, which is a another great uh, entry in the Les Claypool catalog. And I, I like that record a lot, too. Mm. It's got kind of like a... Um, now that I, I just thought of this off the top of my head, but it kind of has a little bit of a Brown Album feel to it. Um, 
with a lot of the it's got a lot of uh, fretted six string on there with like Holy Mackerel and, and Cohibas Splenditos and stuff. Um, but yeah, it is a good uh, good record, and it's got a, it's got a, like all of Les's solo works. It has a distinct feel to it. Like the Holy Mackerel songs have a have a different feel from the Frog uh, Frog Brigade songs, which have a different feel from the Oysterhead songs and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Like for me, um, like basically my uh, the ones that were really super close for me were uh, the Lightning Seeds Dizzy Heights, which uh, has. Uh, one of my all-time favorite pop songs ever, which is uh, "Sugar-Coated Iceberg" on it, and I almost chose that one. And uh, also, "Too Much Joy's last album, finally, which is a really great record. And I think it's their best record. And "Sugar Plastics Bang the Earth Is Round," which I don't know if either of you have even heard of, because they're kind of a weird kind of cult band, I guess. You know, yeah, I, I think heard. is it. Yeah, is that one of those Seattle things? They are out of uh, San Francisco, I think. Okay, as a lot of weird bands are. Um, yes. Yeah, just kind of. I'll just mention a couple others uh, that I'm looking at here. Uh, Cathal Cawthon's first solo album, Grand Necropolitans, from '96, and I think you'd appreciate that one, Andrew. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mentioned the first Shibamato album earlier. Factory Showroom. Oh, I know you like that one, Matt. Actually, that's one of my least favorite They Might Be Giants records. That's the joke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like jokes. <laughs> like, on that one, I almost chose, or I was thinking about, like, Irresistible Bliss by Soul Coughing, which is, I think, is probably the weakest of the three Soul Coughing records, but it's still really good. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, let's not forget Pinkerton. I've, I've, I, that was one of the where, where I immediately dismissed it because I figured that one was too much of a gimme. Sort of like yeah. with you and Alan Sebastian, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pinkerton's an amazing record. And uh, for my opinions on the recent re-release, if you really want to suffer through it, go back and listen to that one record, album, that one studio we did that went on for nearly two hours. <laughs> if you have the patience for that. <laughs> <laughs> Such a great record, though. Yeah. Yeah, I also uh, really liked. Uh, and I are you into the Pet Shop Boys at all? A little bit. Okay, Andrew, you? No, I'm not familiar. Okay, um, their uh, their bilingual album is really great, and like uh, Pet Shop Boys are very dancey, mm-hmm. but like I, I like bilingual is actually one of my favorite records of theirs. I almost picked that one too. What what's on that one? Um, that's got single bilingual, of course. Um, Red Letter Day, Say A Vida A. Um, let's see, uh, Discoteca. Uh, okay, the reason I the reason I asked because on a mix CD you gave me way back when there's a, a ver- song by them called "Can You Forgive Her," which I love the hell out of, and I don't know which album it's on. Um, the the normal one of that one is on Very, because um, okay. I, I like the the kind of big band version, right? Yeah, yeah, that one was on like a single, but it's also on. I, they they did an expanded edition of all their records where there are two discs. Yeah, that's that's the, that's what I have by them uh, of the uh, first the first four albums. So okay, Barry's from '93. Okay, that works. Barry is like probably my second favorite album by them, and it, honestly, you can almost flip a coin between that one and Bilingual. I don't know. My my favorite album by them is is still uh, Please. That is a good one, of course. I mean, I, I I love the Pets. I even really like their more recent stuff too. Like I think like uh, Nightlife is a great record from '99. Uh, 
And um, let's see, release was okay, but that one was a little bit more acoustic, which is kind of weird for them. Uh, Fundamental was awesome. And yes, uh, their their newest one is sort of like okay. And they've got a brand new one coming out pretty soon that I'm, you know, going to get, you know, as soon as it comes out, of course, because I, I just love the pets. Yeah. I mean, I, it took me, I got into the Pet Shop Boys thanks to this documentary that was uh, shown on the BBC that I got a hold of called uh, Synth Britannia. Mm. And it's uh, all about the electronic music scene that uh, developed in in England in the uh, the late seventies and early eighties, and it covers everything from uh, you know the normal um, war up <laughs> yes, uh, to the Human League, include the early Human League, mm-hmm. um, Cabaret Voltaire, and Throbbing Gristle, and um, Gary Newman, of course. Who was the who made it big and uh, Depeche Mode? Yeah, that, that's also how I finally decided to give in and start listening to Depeche Mode because like I I just had this assumption about them that they were just cheesy pop and the first album is cheesy pop but it's the good kind of cheesy pop and then they got interesting after really interesting afterwards. Yeah, I I quite like with Depeche Mode. I uh, I always like call them Depeche Mode from the Dead Milkman song. <laughs> you, you'll dance to anything. Yes. Um, it, it's funny because apparently like all of those were bands that Rodney really liked, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's sort of, uh, uh I kind of like them, but I thought that they could be a little bit like too serious sometimes or too self-serious. Yeah. I, but I, 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 I can go with that. But I mean, it's like, it's one where like, even despite of that, like they had some really great songs. Like I really like, uh, um, master and servant a lot is a really cool song. Yeah. And, um, sure. People are people too. Yeah, of course, none of these are for '96. But so that's why that's why I got started looking at Pet Shop Boys, and I, I think that kind of leads us in. Weren't we going to do the movie episode next week? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So we'll we'll probably have to talk about this after after we hang after I stop recording. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll uh, next week we're going to talk about music related movies in various forms, and it should be interesting to see what we come up with. Cool. Yes. And then after that, we'll just talk about Stop Making Sense for an hour or so. Yes. Uh. It's like 60 minutes on acid. <laughs> so, anything else, guys? I think that's a show. I think so. I think so, too. It's a good one. I think so. And, and I'm including like, uh, a longer list in my show notes of other uh, 96, song, or 96 albums, so... And thank you, everybody, who contributed their uh, their picks from 96. Yeah. Thanks again. It was great talking to you guys. And go check out, honestly, uh, Zen Geek. I, I, I hope you didn't think I was trying to – I was being rude when I – No, no. Thank you very much. I appreciate the kind <laughs> words. No, yeah. When I was playing with you back then, that's all right. not, I'm not usually a dick. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> and if you want to prove – and if you want proof of that, you can find me on Twitter at SansPoint. Uh, I'm at sandspoint.com and uh, I have a scarcely updated Tumblr at wonderbreathment.com. And where can we find you guys? I'm at Kitty Sneezes, uh, kittysneezes.com and at kittysneezes.tumblr.com where you can see things like a picture of a horse in a bucket. And I'm Andrew, and uh, you guys can find me at andrewmarvin.net and at andrewmarvin on Twitter. And uh, ZenGeek.net is the home of the new show about uh, technology and mindfulness with the brilliant Jeffrey Incho. So check that out, too. Yep. 
And of course, we're crushonradio.com, Crush on Radio on Twitter, Crush on Radio on Facebook. Like us, review us on iTunes. If you give us a good review on iTunes, you'll find a $50 bill on the ground. This is not a guarantee. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, guys. Thank, Thank you. you.